Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Steve McCloskey. He's the CEO of a company called Nanome, N-A-N-O-M-E. The website is nanome.ai. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, tell me about Nanome. What's, uh, what's the premise of the company? Yeah, so at Nanome, uh, think of it as your home for nanoscale design. Uh, there's a lot of things happening all around us. Uh, day-to-day lives, um, you know, the foods we eat, the chemicals we see, the, the sunlight, the energy we combust. Everything's happening at the nanoscale all the time. And a lot of people don't see and understand really what's going on. So we want to elucidate that. Uh, we want to really transform how we understand and interact with science by creating a, an immersive interface where people could just see things intuitively. Uh, so we use virtual reality to allow people to uh, analyze molecules, chemical structures, uh, it's really big atomic structures, and see how the world around us is built. Uh, a lot of people also you know, take that same concept and then they use it to engineer you know, things like life-saving drugs. So we uh, interact with a lot of pharmaceutical companies, universities, and people that just want to learn more. That's cool. So you could um, you could picture a molecule and like spin it around in 3D and look at it from different angles and zoom in and zoom out, that kind of thing? Uh, it's pretty much like you know, picking up a water bottle on your desk and uh, you have it just in your hand in VR. And then maybe if you want to you know, place the water bottle on the desk instead of that, you're placing the molecule inside of a receptor site in a protein. So you're able to you know, kind of understand cool. these 3D puzzles without you know, having a background in science. That's very cool. Huh. Have you been able to, um, I mean, I'm always fascinated by visualizing and seeing things. So have there been uh, things that you've been able to show and see that, you know, have never been visualized before? Um, so a, a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, people haven't seen it in this way. So you, you could, you know, look at these things on a 2D screen and it's like you're saying you kind of, you know, put it there and you, you know, wiggle around the mouse and you're kind of looking at it from different angles, but you only get like a 2D picture at a time. Uh, we're bringing an entirely new interface for that. So that people, instead of, you know, scrolling around a mouse and trying to see it from different angles, you kind of get the full picture all at once. So it's just directly right there in front of you in your hand. And it makes things just immediately, obviously understandable. That's very cool. What's the smallest scale stuff that you can help people visualize? Uh, So uh, unfortunately, we only go down to atoms right now. Uh, I would like to go, you know, sort of subatomic in that nature. uh, But we also have a cool application called CalcFlow. Uh, It's kind of like a 3D graphing calculator. And our premise there is that you you kind of use ball and stick representations and other types of views for looking at atoms and molecules and even larger structures like um, you know, large molecules like proteins. Um, and you can see it with that model. But if you want to look you know, at the, the nucleus of the atom or the electron cloud, it all becomes highly mathematical. Um, so we have some models in CalcFlow that you could use for looking at like electron orbitals. So you could see like how these atoms would look at the subatomic level. Uh, but with nano, it's mostly for um, atomic and up. So you could go from like the single atom all the way up through um, you know, structures as large as a virus. I thought because um, of the Heisberg uncertainty principle that we really don't know what things look like at a subatomic level or even at an atomic level. Like what is the surface of an atom 
look like? You know, what does the electron look like? What does the cloud look like? You know. Yeah, a lot of the particles uh, when you get past five nanometers, so you're looking at like, um, yeah, maybe if you look at one atom, it's going to be uh, one third of a nanometer. Um, when you get to you know, big structures like proteins, uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle goes away a bit. Like you still have some what of like a a blobbiness, but that blobbiness actually forms kind of like a Lego piece in your body. So you you can see things at that level that are more of like concrete detail. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you go subatomic. Uh, we actually do a uh, probability distribution. So that's what I mean by, you know, it's like mathematics, like a graphing calculator. But instead of just, you know, drawing a line on like your TI-84, uh, you're actually plotting the electron distribution function so that you can see the density of a higher probability region where the electron might be. Well, what does that look like, for example? Like when you um, show a probability, does it look like a cloud or what is it, like a morphing cloud? What would it look yeah. like in 3D? So um, you can check it out on CalcFlow, and um, you know, maybe we could um, have the users just go to uh, nanome.ai slash CalcFlow to check that out, too. Um, but you could you see kind of like a blue ghosty um, cloud that is in the shape of these spherical harmonic functions. Um, so it, it's like a, a 3D geometry, kind of like a balloon, but the balloon itself is like a opaque, transparent, um, higher density um, at certain points and lower density at other points. So what's, um, yeah. what are the most common things that people um, have found useful to visualize? What are, they, are they working a lot with molecules and, again, like you said, um, agent and receptors or what kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think uh, you know, some of the most beneficial uses is um, you're looking at these protein structures, which are these um, you know, three-dimensional Lego pieces where there's little things that fit in there. And if you're able to look at those sites, they're kind of like caves. And if you look at the cave and you could place a small molecule in that cave where it fits perfectly, or if it doesn't fit perfectly, you could just use your hand to draw on top of the structure and create a new molecule that might fit a bit better. I'd say that's uh, one of the big use cases is actually like drug design so that we can make better life-saving medicine. Are you able to assign rules to the rendering of these things? I guess you can, like mathematical models so that when you interact with them in this environment, they'll behave somewhat like they would behave in, in nature? Definitely, yeah. So um, there's kind of a defined set of rules that's accepted by the scientific community. Um, and what we call those is um, energy minimization force fields. Uh, it's a common term. And it's kind of like Star Wars, where you see this invisible force kind of pulling and pushing things apart. Um, but what's, what's happening is that there's forces being calculated between all the atoms. And they push and pull each other apart, and they optimize their geometry to be more scientifically accurate. Yeah, because I could see you can model all kinds of really cool stuff, like, you know, what do molecules look like as a substance increases in temperature or decreases? You know, what does a gas yeah. look like? You know, how do the molecules move in a gas? I mean, you know, how do they bond? How do proteins fold? I mean, all kinds of really cool stuff that I guess I've always wanted to visualize this stuff, but I can't find it, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, I, I really wanted to, to, you know, see what was going on with a lot of this stuff in, in the way that it actually is, you know, in three dimensions at the nanoscale. Um, and that was, you know, a large reason why we've uh, been developing this tool is, you know, we just, we want to see things. We want to understand what's going on better. Yeah, so what, um, again, what, so some of the, view, the uses are drug discovery. What are some of the other common uses? Or maybe what are some surprising uses that you've seen that you were like, wow, I didn't know you could even do that with the tool. 
So uh, when we originally made CalFlow, I thought it'd be a really good segue to understand, you know, electron dynamics and understanding like why molecules behave the way they do. Um, but then what we found is that uh, you could have mechanical engineering designs in CalCflow as well. So imagine you're trying to map out the geometry of something like a jet turbine engine or a fuel injector. Uh, you're going to have this, this interesting flowing dynamic. And CalCflow was actually made for vector calculus, which is one of the last engineering courses or the last mathematics courses that engineers and scientists usually take. And so once we had that 3D graphing calculator that allows you to plot you know, arbitrary mathematical geometries and place it in the vector fields and simulate flow lines, uh, you were able to use this tool to not only explore and learn mathematics, uh, but also design mechanical things that you could like 3D print. So we thought that was like a super cool application. Uh, it was actually a kind of like a, a sister startup that we uh, are pretty close friends with. Uh, they both, you know, they came out of UC San Diego as well. And uh, so they're doing 3D printed rocket engines. And so we've been talking a lot about how they could use CalFlow to optimize their rocket flow uh, fuel injector designs. Oh, that's very cool. Huh. So what's um, what's the next stage for the modeling? What do you want it to do that it can't do just now? And you know, what's like the new newness coming to it? Yeah, um, I, I think that there's a lot more features that we're adding every day to the software, just on the pure interface, and you know, making things easier, more automated, giving you more calculations without needing to you know know the science and the programming behind the calculations, where you could just kind of like move things around and figure it out very intuitively. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, last year we actually launched a blockchain application called Matrix. And so Matrix okay. keeps track of, of um, collaboration. So if you, you know, want people to design the next cure for cancer, you can put out a monetary reward. Uh, people will be able to kind of compete for that. But then as they're competing for it, you could actually track who did what when. So you could have this lineage of information between multiple people to prove the authenticity of who created it first, who decided to modify that first person's design and improve upon it. And so you really get in this collaborative design flow. And so we're implementing that same structure into the Nanum software so that people don't need to you know, be experts in blockchain. They can just design molecules in our software and have the rest assured uh, notion that everything that they're doing is immutably tracked. Oh, okay, Ooh, interesting. That's kind of, I guess, straying from um, you know, your core competency, but I, I understand why it's important. It makes sense. Yeah, but we're really big believers in like crowdsourced science and you know, trying to get more people participating. You know, there's a lot of pretty big challenges in the world, and if only a few, you know, handful of people around the world are working on them, it's going to take a long time for them to get solved. But if a lot more people well, around the see, world, yeah, yeah, I could see how the visualization right would make it easier for amateurs or people that are, you know, pro am that are interested in getting involved in something to work on it. Like I know that um, NASA with the Mars rover, they were crowdsourcing, you know, identifying rocks on, the, on Mars, you know, because you can get a lot more help than you normally would and you get some good results and the people don't have to be, you know, super scientists to help out. So same thing with your stuff. Exactly. If you have enough people contributing, you know, some things are going to be good, some things are, are not going to be as good, but the fact that you have a lot more contributions uh, that allows you to build this data set that you can then sort through and find the best. So can companies come to you and say, hey, we've got a problem. We want to find a drug for this condition. Um, we want you to develop the models or, you know, create the visualization for our models. And then we want you to host a contest using your models so people can help us figure this out and we'll award a prize. 
Definitely, yeah. So they could come to us. Right now, we're actually looking for partners that would like to do that. Um, but then also, it's a decentralized system where anybody could actually just post it on their own. Yeah, that's really cool. So what um, applications are you, you know, should this be used for that it's not being used for yet that, you know, have come to your mind, but maybe you haven't had time to program them yet? Um, so the Matrix platform itself is actually um, a really generalized program. So you could submit a chemical, you could submit a piece of code, you could submit a snippet of mathematics, a 3D design. Um, really, it just tracks things that people do when they submit it. Um, so whatever designs you're submitting to these tournaments, which could be for pretty much anything, uh, the system will just track it immediately. And if another user takes that and modifies it, um, then you'll see the, the tree of information of where these designs can evolve. And so I, I think that there's a lot of really cool applications that we haven't even thought of, but you know, right now we're using it for, of course, the uh, neglected tropical diseases. So those are um, you know, drugs that typical pharmaceutical companies don't really want to research because there's not as much money in it, but there are a lot of people dying from these diseases. So it's kind of you know, this neglected aspect um, that you know, maybe more crowdsourced science could help out with. Uh, we do code, so if people want to you know, audit the matrix platform code, or if they want to uh, contribute code to the platform, they can receive uh, rewards in matrix. Um, we have some calculator bounties as well. So um, like I was saying with the uh, 3D calculator, you could create geometries. Uh, we actually had a, a competition for a cup you know, who could design a silly mug. There's like a little coffee mug. Uh, we had a competition for a crown. Um, so that's kind of like a headpiece for like an in-game object. Um, so yeah, we, we could you know be as anything from like super serious chemicals that could save people's lives uh, all the way down to just really silly like video game objects. And we see the platform as you know staying general and allowing our users to decide what they want. Is it a self-serve platform? Or is it like a contract thing where they pay you to create models for stuff? Uh, so it's a self-serve platform. Uh, they would be paying the people that are submitting to the tournament. Uh, the idea is that you post this bounty, um, you get people submitting their designs to the bounty, um, and then they're able to selectively choose who they want to distribute rewards to. And it could be an open source model where you say, hey, if you're submitting to this, um, you know, we want your work to be open source. And so there could be automated licensing with that. Or it could even be a closed sourcing where you say, hey, like if you design this and I choose you and I pay you, maybe we could even split the IP of who owns what. And that could even be tracked on blockchain. Okay, gotcha. So what do you consider the limits of um, what you're able to visualize and where do you want to push them to? Like what's next for you uh, internally? Specific models or other stuff? Yeah, um, so right now with the with the typical VR-ready computer and like an Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, uh, we could go into the hundreds of thousands of atoms. Um, so instead of, you know, just seeing these you know, 20 atom type of small chemicals or these multi-thousand atom proteins, you can actually have really large complexes. And that'll allow you to do you know, some smaller viruses, but you can't do absolutely huge viruses or cells. So I think that there's definitely a mobility of moving up the scale. So we could go from you know, one nanometer with a couple atoms, 10 nanometers with an entire protein, 100 nanometers with an entire virus, and then like you know, 1,000 to 10,000 nanometers would be a cell. And then if you get to something like 50,000 nanometers, that's about the diameter of a human hair. So I think that we could just keep going up these scales. So you're saying you could, you, you might be able to model a virus, you know, based upon every atom that's in it. We have done preliminary research. Uh, there was actually a, a group in San Diego that was working on this that we were uh, collaborating with for a bit, and they have a application called CellPack, 
And what, what that does is in the back end, it takes all of these files of these you know, proteins, which each one is going to be thousands of atoms, and it packs them together into like a superstructure. And so, yeah, you could have entire viruses. So we've seen you know, HIV, polio, um, you know, all sorts of these viruses. And when you're able to see them, you can see down to the atomic detail. So you can see that there's proteins on the surface that are you know, different receptors. If you maybe could then analyze that, create a drug while looking at the entire picture, you can understand more of the systems level biology. So um, yeah, I think that you know, seeing the full picture is really important for people to understand what's really going on. Yeah, and thinking about that, I wonder what the consequence is. Like, I guess you started talking about it, but if you're able to model something literally on every atom of our organism, like a virus or something even bigger, I wonder what that would uh, what that would show you. You know? Yeah, I mean, I I would I would love to see. Um, there's been simulations done by um, you know other researchers uh, from UC San Diego, like uh, Romy Amaro, and what she does is she doesn't really work on the visualization too much but she has these huge data sets of viruses and she'll run really big simulations on supercomputers uh, to see how these viruses would actually interact with and change over time. So um, yeah, I mean, what are the implications of you know, simulating a whole cell or a single celled organism or multi-celled organisms? Uh, it could get really interesting and, and meta at some point. So what's, uh, what are some resources for listeners? How can they see you know, some of these models? You mentioned it a few times. Can you mention it again? And and how can they get in contact and interact with you? Uh, yeah, so I think the the best thing, you know, if you already have a VR headset or if you just want to join in the uh, 2D desk, desktop mode with mouse and keyboard to see other people in VR, uh, you could download the application. Uh, if you go to nanome.ai, uh, you'll be able to see our product. Uh, you could download it from Steam. So if you go to Steam or Viveport or the Oculus Store and you type in nanome, N-A-N-O-M-E, uh, then you'll be able to you know, just download our application and boot it right up. And then uh, you know, you'll get a much clearer picture. Uh, we also have a YouTube series. So if you go to YouTube and type in Nanom, N-A-N-O-M-E, uh, you should be able to find our YouTube channel. And there you'll be able to see uh, videos that we produce. So you see you know, first-person view in VR. You'll see a third-person view where you can see avatars interacting with each other in VR. Uh, and you really get a feel for you know, how intuitive this is. You just kind of you know, pick up and grab molecules. Uh, and you know, modify things on the fly. It's, it's really just trying to hit that that baseline human nature. We all understand how to pick up uh, a pen or uh, a thing off a table. It's uh, it's really easy to just reach out and grab stuff. There's not really too much of a learning curve there. Okay, that's really cool. Well, Steve, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and it's uh, really great the work you're doing. I think it's really fascinating. So thank you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.